0: Hi, I'm Michelle Ward. As a mom, I've looked my children in the eyes with love and hoped I can lead them toward a bright, wonderful future. But as a neurocriminologist who's been studying violent crime for the last 20 years, I've also quietly hoped that at the very least, I'm not raising a future serial killer. And if you can relate to that taboo thought, congratulations, you've just found your new favorite podcast. This is How Not to Raise a Serial Killer. Today, I'm so excited, we have our first male guest, Kevin, who's a dad to a fabulous child. Um, Hi, Kevin.
1: Hi, how are you, Michelle?
0: I'm okay, I'm really excited that you're here. We have mom perspectives. We even had an aunt, but we haven't had a dad. And I feel like we're not being as inclusive as we could be because your perspectives might be different. So thank you so much for agreeing to be the guinea pig.
1: Of course. I hope I uh, represent the dads well. So I'll <laughs> I think do my you best. Will.
0: Today we're going to talk about three separate cases, which I typically don't do, and I'm doing it for a reason, um, that will become clear. They're very different crimes, but they have a surprising through line that connects them. The first is the story of Odell Newton. Odell's mom, Clara was a 15-year-old living in Virginia when she became pregnant with her daughter, Jackie. Soon after Jackie's birth, Clara married Jackie's father, John Irving Newton Sr., and moved to Baltimore. So now they're in Maryland, and they have two more children, Odell and Tim. And even though they met and married so young, they remained married for 53 years until John's death. So both Jackie and Tim did really well. They did make great choices. They went on to be, you know, really responsible adults. Odell's brother Tim graduated from Salisbury State College with a degree in sociology, and he actually became a corrections officer. For Odell, however, the path was markedly different from his brother and sister. So while he did grow up in the same loving home as his siblings with parents who were high school sweethearts, which Clara, his mom, sweetly describes as, well, we stuck it out and we made it work. But Odell's future was actually quite grim. So when the kids were a little older, the family moved into this really nice house in Edmondson Village. And at this point, Clara, the mom, started realizing that Odell was struggling academically. This is around ninth grade, and Clara hadn't heard of any delays from the school but she could tell that Odell was nowhere near where he needed to be academically. But Clara said they just kept passing Odell to the next grade and the next grade, and everything was fine. But everything started going south. It was around this time, the beginning of high school, when Odell started hanging out with the wrong crowd. So on the evening of December 19th, 1973, Odell Newton, who was then 16 years old, stepped into a cab in Baltimore with a friend, they rode a half block, and then they shot and killed the driver, Edward Mintz, for no obvious reason. The state of Maryland charged Odell with crimes, including murder in the first degree, and sentenced him to life in prison. The second case I wanted to mention is a case you've probably heard of, Henry Lee Lucas. He's a, he's a well-known serial killer, but he's also known as a confession killer. This is because he claimed to have a victim, and then he'll later recount it, and he does it over and over again. Lucas actually claimed responsibility for a spree of murders across the United States in the 70s and 80s of hundreds and hundreds of women. And this led many investigators into like incorrectly closing cases. So they were like, yes, solved, solved. But these cases weren't solved. The problem was he was lying. And in fact, some of these girls were alive and well. Once he'd been caught, for one, he was confessing to to hundreds. In fact, when he was in court, being convicted for one murder, he gets up and says, Judge, what are we going to do about the hundreds of other girls I've killed? Which became a judicial nightmare. That said, he wasn't just confessing. He was actually a very brutal murderer. I'm going to rewind a little bit to his childhood, and it was rough. His mother was known as the town's favorite prostitute, and his legless father lost his legs, um in a work accident, and he was a devout drunk. And I'm not just talking he drank every night, like drunk all the time, 100% drunk all the time. It's reported that Henry Lee Lucas was born in a one-room log cabin in Blacksburg, Virginia. And from a young age, his mother would force him to watch her have sex with her customers. She had a bunch of children. I don't know if some of these children were from her customers or not, but I believe Henry was the youngest and um, he was forced at a very young age to watch the sex. She would actually have sex with the customers in front of her husband too. Henry was unwanted and mistreated and that's when he wasn't being completely neglected. For example, he had a fight with his brother, his older brother, that resulted in an injury to his eye, but because his mom couldn't be bothered to take him to the doctor, it became grossly infected and then he lost that eye at age 10. There was one report that it wasn't even his mom who eventually took him to the doctor. It was one of her Johns, who was like this, I think they called him Uncle Bernie. Then there were accusations that he started having sex with Henry Lee Lucas. One thing we know is that there's lies everywhere, and there's truth everywhere, and it's impossible to disentangle which is real and which wasn't. So I'm trying to stick to the things that were corroborated in multiple sources. But some sources say that, you know, around this age, 10, 12, uh, Henry... And his brother and some of these Johns, like Uncle Bernie, were having sex with animals, experimenting that way. And that some of these people were having sex with Henry himself. To further complicate and contribute to his unusual appearance, his mother would make him cross dress in public. And it is thought that she did that so she could pimp him out to men later. Eventually, um, Henry's school teachers complained about it formally, and officials put an end, the court, I believe, to her dressing him in dresses. For whatever protection Lucas's father may have provided, if any, to Lucas, he died of hypothermia after passing out in a blizzard, the dad did. So when Lucas dropped out of school, he was only in sixth grade and his life became even messier. He ran away, he was a drifter. And he claims that he committed his first murder at the age of 15. He says he was out with a young girl who refused his sexual advances, and he killed her. But it seems like many of the others, it was just a false confession, and one he later retracts anyway. But we do know for a fact that Henry Lee Lucas was convicted on over a dozen counts of burglary in and out of the Richmond, Virginia area, and he was sentenced to four years in prison. Of course, he escapes in 1957, but he was recaptured three days later and then subsequently released on September 2nd, 1959. There's a frustrating theme with a lot of these cases, and it's these early releases. Later in 1959, Lucas travels to Tecumseh, Michigan, which I understand is not too far from your house.
1: Not very far at all. Uh, One of the schools we played in high school sports, actually.
0: Okay. Mm Were they good?
1: Um. Sure. <laughs> sure.
0: Mm. You're so diplomatic.
1: <laughs> they were not as good as us, no.
0: I'm trusting you weren't playing against the Lucas family. They were much older than you are.
1: I don't remember them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he did this. He went to Tecumseh to live with his half-sister, Opal. And it was around this time he became engaged to this woman... Kind of like a pen pal from back when he was incarcerated so he's visiting opal and his mom comes to visit and she is livid about this engagement she feels that he should come back to blacksburg to take care of her as she grew older her business was on the decline so according to lucas she struck him over the head with a broom we don't know if that's true but at this point he stabs her in the neck and then he flees the scene. He said, and I quote, "'All I remember was slapping her alongside the neck, "'but after I did that, I saw her fall "'and decided to grab her, but she fell to the floor, "'and when I went to pick her up, I realized she was dead. "'Then I noticed I had my knife in my hand, "'and she'd been cut.'" So Henry Lee Lucas was soon arrested in Ohio on an outstanding Michigan warrant. He claimed to have killed his mother in self-defense, but his claim was rejected, and he was sentenced to up to 40 years' imprisonment in Michigan for second-degree murder. However, after serving 10 years in prison, he was released in June 1970 due to prison overcrowding.
1: Oh. Yeah. So that's, that's a good reason to let him out, I guess.
0: Yeah. And, like, and of all of them that you're going to pick this one, Yeah,
1: week? right.
0: That's another thing I keep coming up against. I'm like, is it—are you— are you looking at which ones, or is it an eeny, meeny, miny, mo situation? Yeah, pull straws, or what? We've seen a couple instances where criminals have already recidivated, they'd already been out, committed crime, this is their next you know, stint in prison, and they're the ones who are released. After drifting around for a while, he ended up meeting his infamous partner in crime, Otis Toole. The two shared an interest in the same dark stuff. They both were obsessed with sex and murder. They claim to have murdered numerous people together, but Lucas goes back to recant all of that. We don't know how much of it is true, but we do know that Henry Lucas fell in love with Otis's niece, Becky Powell, who was 10 years old at the time. And they ran away together. They ended up at a religious commune called the House of God— and they settled there for a little while. And when that didn't work out, they were in Texas for a little bit. And while they were there, they ended up living with this elderly woman named Kate Rich. I believe Henry Lee Lucas had done some work for Kate's son, and then Kate was paying Lucas and Becky to live with Kate Rich um, to take care of her. But... He was eventually fired for stealing money. And it was around that time where Becky became homesick and said she wanted to return to Florida. But Lucas wanted to stay in Texas. So according to Henry Lee Lucas, they had an argument, it got heated, and he hit her and he was unaware he was holding his knife at the time. Again, just like the story about when he killed his own mom.
1: Oh, there it is.
0: There it is. I always (laughs) got that knife. I don't know why it's there. It's in my hands, glued. So he'd already served 10 years for killing his mom, um, and now he's gone to kill his girlfriend. He went on to recount having sex with the corpse before carefully dismembering the body and scattering it around. He also scattered her belongings. So he later returned to bury the body parts. He then claims that he talked to Kate Rich, the older woman they'd been living with, about Becky's disappearance. And it seems that maybe Kate suspected he had something to do with it. They end up in some sort of discussion. He stabs her to death, has sex with her body, and stuffs it into a pipe. He claims to have come back later and burnt it in the wood stove behind the cabin where he was staying. When he gets brought in, he takes a polygraph test and he passed it, but they arrested him anyway for illegal firearms. And plus he starts confessing to this murder, but they weren't sure about him. They weren't sure because he was kind of all over the place, but then he led them to the bodies. So it's hard to know where the bodies are if you're not involved in the, in the killings, right? These three murders are the only ones we know for sure he was involved in because he would take the Texas Rangers on a massive wild goose chase, hundreds of cases over decades, you know, leading people, as I said, to close the cases. And it turns out that it was impossible for most of them to be true. But these we know he did. Henry Lee Lucas was sentenced to death in the state of Texas under George W. Bush. However, he died in prison on March 13th, 2001, from a heart attack. So the last vignette, the last case I'm gonna discuss is something you may have seen in the news. It's a young suburban Baltimore mom named Corinne Gaines and she's shot and killed by police on August 1st, 2016. Her five-year-old son Cody was wounded in the exchange of gunfire, but fortunately he survived. This happened after an hours long standoff at her Maryland apartment. It started in March when this 23-year-old was pulled over for a traffic stop. Corinne was a constant live streamer. She always had her phone. She was always, you know, posting to social media what she was doing. And in this video, she posted that about this being pulled over for this traffic stop. By the way, she was pulled over because she didn't have proper license plates and tags. She warns the officer that they will have to kill her. She refused to get out of the car. Um, When the police finally pulled her from the car, she refused to be handcuffed. Then fast forward to the incident on August 1st. Gaines posted a video from the seven-hour standoff on the same sites where she had posted smiling photos of herself and her loved ones and her being pulled over in March. Don't be afraid, she told her son in one of the clips. You see what they do to us, right? You have to fight them. They're not for us. They want to kill us. And you never, ever back down from them. In another video, she loads a 12-gauge shotgun she called the Big Girl. So, you know, they've been there for seven hours now. Finally, police say Gaines told officers, if you don't leave, I'm going to kill you. An officer fired first, according to the police, and then Gaines fired back. The officer fired several more times, killing Gaines, and police fire also struck her son on his left cheek. Corinne Gaines had had a lot of run-ins with the courts. Destruction of property charge was filed the year before. She'd been charged with leaving a child unattended. She'd received probation. She'd have a peace order that was filed against her. She had a lot of run-ins. And the situation raised a good question. Like, why did she act so erratically and dangerously? Why was she not surrendering to the police? Why, you know, she had her child there. She... She was endangering herself and him. But then again, why did Henry Lee Lucas kill his own mother and girlfriend and then confess to hundreds of killings that he didn't do? And why did Odell Newton hop into that cab and kill the driver when there was really nothing to gain and it was so obvious that he'd be caught? So there's one possible answer. These three all had severe lead poisoning. All three of these people had been severely poisoned by lead when they were children. Let's go back to Corinne. She had many signs of lead poisoning. According to Rachel Weiner and Lynn Bowie reporting for the Washington Post, Corinne Gaines had a history of problems with anger and impulsive behavior. And this was according to assessments from a doctor that was included in a lawsuit that Gaines had filed against the owner of two Baltimore rental homes where she had lived as a child. So for the case, she had doctors examine her and they found that she continued to display signs of neurocognitive impairment. She had lost significant IQ points and that was a direct result of the exposure. So according to teachers, her family, Corrine Gaines struggled with paying attention, following directions, listening and being respectful, especially to her teachers. So she was exposed to what they say was a sea of lead at a young age and had a history of problems associated with that, including the anger and impulsive behavior I'm discussing. Her mom says that school was always a struggle for Corinne; She had to try extra hard. She had these academic problems, cognitive problems, and she was also tough, defiant as a child and a woman. Her brother described her as super headstrong and that she would fight battles even when it was clear she couldn't win, super opinionated, standing her ground. It was a bit of a departure from the rest of her family, which was very Christian in their faith. Her beliefs were far more militant. So we'll go back to Odell and Henry Lee Lucas in a moment. But first, let's talk a little bit about what lead is known to do. Lead is known to make people, particularly those who were exposed as kids, to be more aggressive Well, there's a 2013 study from the CDC, the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, that found that although blood lead levels among U.S. children have dramatically dropped since the late 1990s, the average lead levels among black children one to five years old between 2007 and 2010 were still roughly 38 percent higher than they were among their white peers.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. You know, there's a problem. I'm sure you've heard of the, f- the lead poisoning issue in Flint, Michigan, mm-hmm. with the water in Mississippi, too, recently. And if this is a connecting point, it's really scary to think about all those children. Low income neighborhoods don't get the funding, don't get the attention. And, you know, Flint for a long time was just forgotten about. And, you know, to think that you can't have access to water. And what that might mean for situations like this is scary.
0: And it's not just drinking the water. It's being exposed to the water. It's cooking with the water. It's it's absolutely frightening. And we know about Flint. It still isn't cleaned up. This information is not new. This lead crime hypothesis has been around for a very long time. And what it, it's thought that, and I'm going to just read this kind of just as a definition because I, you know, I can't put it better than they did. So, lead was a commonplace ingredient in many consumer goods before the 70s, and particularly in paint and gasoline. The economic boom post-World War II saw more houses built, more cars manufactured, and bought, meaning that a whole generation of children were exposed to high quantities of lead. And in the mid 1970s, cars began to use unleaded gasoline. In 1978, the federal government banned lead from being used in consumer goods, but it's all still out there, right? The, it was a gradual phasing out of lead. And the lower levels of poisoning were found in children now than they were in the 70s. But the proponents of this theory say it caused violent crime rates to be super high back then, and then they almost halved in the 1990s. So as soon as we started pulling the lead out, we saw this huge reduction in crime all over the world, by the way. So whenever a country jumped on that and pulled the lead out, they reported fewer crimes. But why does it matter? Why is lead so harmful? What are the mechanisms? And it's really simple. It's well known that lead kills neurons and damages the central nervous system. And it's, as I said, it's evidenced in hundreds of studies around the world. Studies like looking at the the brains of metal workers to You know, community studies looking at exactly when their crimes increased, when their crimes decreased, and how it related there, to looking at the brains of little children who come in with lead poisoning. What we see are really significant reduced brain volumes. And Kevin, you want to get freaked out? That's even at the safe levels.
1: Oh, of consumption of lead. Mm-hmm.
0: Even at the safe levels. And we see the reduction, especially in parts of the brain that's associated with violence and psychopathy. So that's scary.
1: So does it it blocks the neurons to know you're doing something wrong? Is that what no, you're saying? No, it
0: kills um, the neurons and it reduces the volume and probably the function of the areas of the brain that are related to crime. So, his, like, and a simplistic way to think about it, I this is what I always use. It's like there's kind of two areas, two general areas of the brain I think of when it comes to crime. There are the impulsive type crimes. That's this area of your brain, the prefrontal cortex. And these, I, you know, these listeners are probably so sick of hearing me saying that. That's what stops your impulses. It stops you from, oh my God, I'm so mad. I want to punch a hole in this wall, but I'm not going to. Or I really want to take that car out, but I know I'm going to be in trouble. It stops. It's your emergency brakes. It keeps us... It keeps us from doing things with consequences. It's our executive functioning. It's our planning space. People with damage there, lesions there, um, regular brain damage, or just lower levels of functioning, they are very impulsive. The second area of the brain is in the temporal lobe. It's called our limbic system, and it's mainly the amygdala and hippocampus and some other areas that's where emotions live that's where memories live and you know memories are important because you relate you know action and consequence but it's also where empathy um, remorse guilt you know the three hallmarks that are missing in a psychopath that's where they live so while we see overall reduction in brain volume because of lead we see um we see it particularly there which would explain these higher rates of aggression
1: it's interesting there's so much back in that time period I know like even asbestos is still a problem, you know, and we know the problems with it, but there's factories all over that still have asbestos in their ceilings, and the long term implications of these it's just incredible what we've been able to learn and over the years and change, but you know
0: it's scary. even in breaks, like I worked on a case as a litigation consultant where Asbestos in the brakes. So if you worked at a place that was changing brakes, you're inhaling all of that. I didn't think of brakes. Yeah. I thought of that as an you know insulation. And another thing that asbestos and uh, lead have in common is there's this wisdom, this 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 what we're told is if you leave it alone, it's not dangerous. If you don't scrape the paint, it's not dangerous. If you don't touch the asbestos. It's not dangerous, but I don't know. That doesn't feel right. To yeah.
1: Me. <laughs> just let it be. Don't touch it and just, it'll be on its own. Like, I don't it's know. Like,
0: you can live with the rattlesnake. Just don't poke it.
1: Yeah. Like, just don't go near it. It's in the corner. It's fine. It's
0: in the corner. It's sleeping. <laughs> let sleeping bears lie or dogs or rattlesnakes <laughs> or asbestos. It <laughs> it's not very soothing, is it? It used to also be thought that the lead exposure was coming from children chewing on their cribs or chewing on their toys or on the windowsill and we know that toddlers do that right i mean everything's in their mouth all the time but there's studies that it's goes way beyond that i had no idea i'm like thinking back now to oh boy did i have a (laughs) shoe free policy because this is scary exposure while pregnant can really throw your kids into this scary trajectory There's a study that indicates that for every 5-microgram increase of lead in prenatal blood, there was a 40% increase in the risk of arrest for the offspring. Wow. And studies like this all around the world have shown that destructive behavior associated with lead. According to the experts, a child exposed to elevated levels of lead, they have lasting problems with growth, development, both psychological, physiological, and according to CDC, it affects their behavior. Even low levels of lead in the blood have shown to affect learning and academic achievement. And it re- it reduces at a very measurable level their attention span. So, And the neural damage cannot be reversed.
1: Right. Yeah, you don't bounce back from that, I Mm-mm. assume, right, Michelle? No. Um, it's crazy to think, you know, like our parents, right, And thank goodness we made it, you know, to where we are and and we haven't done anything horrific, but just the the exposure and the knowledge back then, it just blows my mind.
0: Well, and you and I are sitting in houses that have lead paint. Totally. You know, our houses aren't new.
1: No, this one's built in 1920, so I'm sure there's a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff going on in here that... I probably don't want to know about.
0: Yeah, just don't touch it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. leave it in the corner with the snake.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, and what we do know is that when we think of this as a problem just with children, and it's true, they're particularly affected because their bodies are like sponges. They tend to absorb lead at a higher rate because their brains are developing so quickly. And the lead poisoning, it doesn't need to be a long exposure. It can be a large amount, but quick. And it's found not just in paint, it's in the air. What the hell are we going to do about that? Yes, okay. (laughs) Water, soil, food, and manufactured goods. Let's just sit with that for a freaking minute.
1: Yeah, how do you escape that?
0: How do you escape that? Um, I was reading an article from one specialist. You could tell she was frustrated because... For some reason, her platform's not big enough and her voice isn't loud enough and people aren't listening. But she said, of course, you don't want your children chewing on windowsills, but you know where your biggest source of lead in your home is? From the bottom of your shoes. Just soil. Walking outside in soil. Construction sites obviously have the highest, but just cruising around on the street, you come in, you have your shoes, you walk through your house, your child crawls and then sticks his hands in his mouth. That's... Yeah, and that's still happening. I'm not wearing my shoes today, but I was yesterday. Like, that's scary.
1: I know, and there's been a, there's been a few articles in the last year about shoes in houses I've been reading, you know, because of my wife. You know, she, we have a very strict no-shoe policy in the house, which I appreciate.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but where I grew up, you didn't take shoes off, Mm-mm. you know? Like, people wear snow boots in the house in Michigan, and it's, like, just part of the norm.
0: Also, it's cold.
1: Also, it's cold. It's cold. <laughs> shoes, I mean, just... Yeah. The amount of stuff you walk over and, you know, I, we were we were at a movie last night and my son was tired and put his feet up on my legs. And I was just thinking like, this is the most disgusting thing on my legs right now because <laughs> we're in a movie theater, which is stickiness everywhere. And his feet are now touching my legs and he's laying down on a seat.
0: That's real parenting. It's love. You took the lead for him. I
1: did. I took the lead for you him. The but lead. That's, yeah. I mean, shoes in the house. That's crazy.
0: And it's not a small effect, by the way. The degree to which lead exposure can explain crime rates varies, but it ranged from like it can go up to 35%. And one expert said that lead crime theory, I don't know if I buy it. Like, this is extreme, but it can account to for up to 90% of the trends noted in the crime rates in the 20th century. So like I said, when manufacturing went up, we saw crime go up. When people realized lead was bad and took it out, we saw crime go down. And of course, there's all sorts of, you know, social factors playing into that, but it tracks exactly around the world. Let's talk about Odell Newton. And I talked about how his... You know, his family was a really good family. His brother and sister turned out really well, but Odell didn't. He's in, you know, he ended up in prison for murder. When he was four years old, he almost died. He fell so ill, he was in the hospital. They could not figure out what was wrong with him. They eventually had to put a hole through his throat to help him breathe, that's how sick he was. They had to transfer him to another specialty hospital because they still couldn't figure it out. And there is where he was uh, diagnosed with severe lead poisoning. It was that extreme. It almost killed him. It turned out that he had been chewing, or at least putting his mouth on and probably scraping with his teeth, the windowsill. So cognitively, this was a huge downfall for him.
1: Well, I mean, he's probably so nervous in his living situation at home, you know, like. His mom putting him through what she did.
0: Oh, no, that was Henry Lee Lucas. This is Odell Newton. Odell was, like, well-loved. His brother and sister were awesome. Clara, his mom, and dad, John, had been married for 58 years, I think it was. This is one of my favorite ones because I can't find another risk factor for crime for this guy. The only risk factor was, well, he ended up with a really low IQ, but I think that was because of this horrible bout with lead poisoning. They say they saw the change after that. In prison, Odell repeatedly attempted to gain his GED, kept failing the test, and his grade school teacher had noticed that he should be placed in special education. But it wasn't until he wrote his first letter home from prison did his mom understand the depth of his intellectual disability. She said that it was like it was being written by a pre-K or a kindergarten student. He couldn't spell; like he he was all it was like a, a small child was writing it. It's really horrible because that, the lead could have been the difference. In the Henry Lee Lucas situation, he had all sorts of risk factors, right? His dad's a substance abuser. His mom is living a very, very rough existence. And she's pretty, you know, being a sex worker does not make her antisocial, but abusing her children and making them be part of it and subjecting them to that certainly did. Odell and Corinne, they... Everyone else in their family is fine. They grew up in nice loving households and they, had, they both had these horrible exposures to lead. What's interesting about Odell's case is he never had another problem after he m- murdered a cab driver, but in prison he was moved to very many facilities, minimum security, maximum security. He even worked as part of a community work release And his employers all gave glowing reports. They said his character is above reproach. Um, They considered it a privilege to have him as an employee. (laughs) But the program was suspended. So then he ends up back, you know, just full time in prison. He ended up there for, I mean, several decades. But his, his lawyers did file a motion arguing that his sentence violated state law. And he eventually was released. He's obviously has a a low IQ and he's obviously suffering cognitive disabilities. I don't know if he's, it doesn't seem to be that he's violent, but we do know that that lead poisoning, that's exactly what it does.
1: Yeah. And how much lead poisoning, how much lead exposure is in prisons, for example? I mean, oh, got to imagine everybody that's incarcerated is, you know, probably getting a lot of exposure in prisons.
0: Yeah, they're probably not handling that with kid gloves, you know, the coat after coat of paint. Well, we're going to talk about in a little bit um, what you can do, because can't bring you the case and not say what we're going to do about
1: it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is great. I, have, I haven't heard this connection, Michelle, but I think it's fascinating, especially if you think about like how can this impact Flint, for example, and what's going to happen in the future? You know, How can somebody get ahead of this? If this is a true connecting point, it's fascinating.
0: And what's the liability for the city? Like, what is their culpability in all of this? If they're not handling this, if we know all of that? and the research is unequivocal, there's no question about cognitive de- severe cognitive decline and severe aggression and violence and murder. It's not oh, it, it's causative. It's not just correlated. So we know how Odell Newton was exposed here in his sweet family. He's chewing on the windowsill. We know Corinne was exposed in those apartments in in maryland well henry lee lucas and his horrible back cabin backwoods cabin where he was uh, you know horribly abused he spent most of his time living in the chicken coop outside and he was chewing on the paint of the coop so
1: it's like a puppy that's like we like have a, a new puppy Chews on everything it sounds like He's stuck in a coop, and poor kid.
0: Yeah. He had a really bad odor, and they think it was because of the various heavy metals in his blood. Yeah. And then he also ended up with, like, he's missing an eye, and he only had three or four teeth. He had a very shocking appearance, which only led to more and more difficulties as he went on. I'm not making excuses for this guy. I mean, what he did was absolutely horrific. And he, and I don't know if it was just the lead in his case, because he had all sorts of risk factors for it. You know, and l- having a low IQ, it does give you a bit of a risk factor for increased crime. But having lead poisoning is, you know, it's it's a very strong relationship. This isn't a problem with like, oh, OK, well, now we know we can't get rid of it. There's nowhere to put it.
1: Yeah. How do you how do you get rid of it? I remember hearing about that as a kid growing up. Lead paint, lead in this, and you know, you just sort of laughed it off.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and you didn't know what it meant. Like, okay, I don't want lead, just like I don't want to be eating too many preservatives because maybe that causes cancer. Like, I want to go over what happens if there is an acute exposure to lead. There are two therapies you can give. This it's very uncommon that you have like, oh shoot, he just a gallon of paint, and now I got to do this. Usually, it's you know they're they're silent. It's silently exposing your child, and we'll talk about that too, and what to prevent. But if there is an instance of an acute exposure, there's something called chelation therapy. It's either chelation or chelation. It's C H E L A T I O N therapy, and in this treatment, a medication is given by mouth, and it binds with the lead so that the lead is then not absorbed. It's excreted in the urine. And that therapy is often recommended for kids with a blood level of 45 micrograms um, or greater, and and adults with high blood levels.
1: And that can pull the lead out of your blood.
0: Yeah, it binds to the lead and then pulls it out of the urine. So, it's fascinating. And then there's EDTA chelation therapy, which treats adults with blood levels greater than 45 micrograms. And it's for people who can't tolerate the conventional drug. Um, So that one's given by injection. So in an acute situation, there is a therapy. But for the rest of us who are just dealing with old houses and children with dirt on their shoes, here's what we have to do. So (laughs) there are some symptoms, but I'm sorry, they're the symptoms of absolutely everything. Tiredness, crankiness, no appetite, headaches, nausea, vomiting, constipation, not able to sleep, clumsiness, lower IQ levels, shortened attention span, increased behavioral problems. Like, okay, fine. But these are kids. So, you know, we can see that we're, that's Harbinger for everything. Um, many homes built before 1978 do have lead-based paint. I know ours do. And when it's peeling, chipping, cracking, becomes damaged, it turns to. Dust, lead dust. I have an area where my dog keeps scraping the paint up from the windowsill, and I can see this dust on the floor. And now I'm like, great, neat. So the dust is actually incredibly dangerous, and it collects. So, like, you know, it when surfaces rub together, like doors or windows. Um,
1: Opening it, and closing. Yeah.
0: It, the, the dust, it's small. It's, it's hard to see, and it begins to, to collect in your home.
1: Well, especially all these old windows. Like, I have to get like a crowbar to open some of these windows. You know, there's. <laughs> Careful. I know. I mean. <laughs> there's just lead there's coming everywhere.
0: I know. Yeah. I, I don't know what we're going to do after this. this is, I feel like after this podcast, I'm just like, okay, now I live in a bubble and there's nothing. Like, my kids aren't allowed to leave. Um, but they're also not allowed to stay because the lead's here. <laughs> it's very confusing. So, the lead contaminated soil that's found outside of homes or structures that contain lead based paint. So, what? Our backyards? Also, busy roadways and gas stations. <laughs> Sport
1: fields, I mean, where kids play soccer. <laughs> right,
0: next to the freeway, where cars right. are. Um, here's a really unfortunate one. Candies, imported candies and food. So, who did you know? Did you know? I didn't know.
1: Well, um, I, I've, I've worked in food before, and when you, know, you do quality assurance, there's levels you look for in all foods that um, – you know, you have to hit requirements for it to be food safe. So there is a lot of metal detection, other things that factories look for when you produce food.
0: Wow. Great. Because guess what? Jewelry and toys. It's another huge, like, problem.
1: Toys. Oh, good <laughs> toys. thing we don't have any of those. What about yeah. Legos? Are Legos safe? Can I Legos please so. be safe?
0: Oh, I, I, It's <laughs> unclear. There's another website, though, um, www.cpsc.com. The Consumer Product Safety Commission, that's supposed to tell us, I don't know.
1: Now I got to audit everything in this house again.
0: (laughs) Everything. Uh, Imported home remedies and cosmetics. All sorts of lead in beauty products imported from Latin America, Southeast Asia, Indian subcontinent, and the Middle East.
1: It's so interesting that we have, you know, regulations here, but imported stuff, you know, can still come in with... High amounts of lead and, and we don't regulate that why that's is that? interesting? I don't but know
0: how, why why do we bother regulating what we produce here if we're going to import and not regulate? I don't get that. What do I know? I'm not obviously not an expert in this, but you know get my platform and talk about it for a minute. Here's one that's really going to chap your hide pottery dishes, glassware contain lead that's so effed up <laughs> like
1: who. <laughs> <laughs> Who's, who's behind all this lead? we got to find this person. Yes. Every time I go back home, I find like old toys of mine that I grew up with. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to bring these back for my son. He would love these transformers. And now I'm like. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leave them
0: in Michigan. Th- 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 <laughs> shit, they're already too close to Flint.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Maybe he shouldn't go to Michigan again. No,
0: I, oh, no, bummer. he should go to Michigan again. But here's another weird thing that you can do to prevent or, or help. Feed your, this sounds so stupid, but. Feed your children three healthy meals and two nutritious snacks a day. And I'm like, what is this? A public service announcement? But again, it actually has science. Your child's stomach absorbs more lead when it's empty. So if your kid (gasps) is constantly snacking and here's the kicker especially on foods high in calcium and iron that does something to prevent the lead from being absorbed i know that this is unreasonable and ridiculous but i'm gonna just read everything that i found because i guess i mean maybe people will start putting more calcium and iron in the kids diet and maybe it makes a difference but i think washing your the hands yeah. be really careful with the paint and taking your shoes off is probably Good the, start mm-hmm
1: What about um you know face masks these days how How does that oh. impact lead in the air? Do you know?
0: Oh, good Lord, I have no idea. I didn't see anything about that. Well, I gonna mean, have to find that out.
1: yeah, I wonder if it protects against lead, you know
0: or is there uh, lead in the face mask?
1: yeah, or yeah <laughs> well, there's that metal piece right that the bridge <laughs> of the nose some of them oh, producer
0: hopped in here, you wearing a mask. Provides significant protection against lead exposure in at least automotive body paint uh, painters. So maybe, our, maybe wearing those masks was actually a good thing for for all of us in terms of lead exposure, as long as the masks themselves aren't you know
1: aren't containing lead. containing any lead. Probably produced in a factory with lead in the air or something.
0: <sighs> neat. Thank you, coronavirus. Yes, That's neat. Yes. Oh god. <sighs> so other things to do: wash toys and pacifiers at least once a day. Don't cook or store food in cans, pottery, ceramics, or leaded crystal. Okay, neat. Great. Like, I have all these ceramic containers from my Danish grandmother that I put stuff in and put in my fridge. Neat. And I'm, okay. I'm going to
1: go whittle a bowl out of out of a tree Yeah. F- for my family. And but like, make sure there's no pesticides, <laughs> yeah.
0: right? Like, you're just by soaking up all the pesticides that's used. <laughs> Here we go. Do not live in, spend time in Um, Or near a house where lead-based paint is being removed. Don't let your kids play in soil. Neat. That might contain lead. How do I know if the soil contains lead?
1: I know. Like, pretty soon we're going to have these little lead-testing kits, like, in our pockets where you can, you know, test the soil really quick before your kid wants to go play.
0: Yeah. Use small washable rugs at the entrance and ask everyone to take their shoes off. Yay, your wife. Steam clean your carpets more frequently. And do it with methods that do not raise the dust, so that you can be breathing it. Great vacuuming. Oh, do we not vacuum just, now? Yeah,
1: just kicks everything everywhere. You know what? It's uh, I don't know why a brand like like a, a company like P and G isn't really vocalizing this with all their cleaning supply. I mean, it seems like it'd be good for their business.
0: Yeah. So, like, why not advertise this? Like, this is frightening. This is frightening. I am always frightened by my podcast. I'm like, oh God, did I do that? Do I have that? Oh gosh, what's happening? But it's this dust that's dangerous. It's not chewing necessarily on a windowsill or a crib. It's the dust that it just slowly over time is happening because of materials rubbing together and then remains in the house and just gets every time you move, every time you vacuum, every time you dust something, it becomes airborne.
1: I guess you're saying it's more dangerous for younger people because they're putting stuff in their mouth a lot. But right. adult or child, the impact is the same when you're exposed to lead.
0: So it's kind of a twofold problem. Children put things in their mouth more frequently, but they're also more susceptible to absorbing the lead because of how their brain's developing. So it's twofold in that. The age in which it's the most dangerous is around 21 months. That's the age where we're seeing the highest level of lead in the blood. And that's, you know, they're crawling around, they're they're walking, they're touching things, they're putting in their mouth, they're chewing on new, you know, things that they couldn't get to before. And plus those neurons are dividing at, you know, rapid fire and being exposed and then dying because of it.
1: Uh, I just think about every time I'm on a plane, I see a kid crawling around on the floor mm-hmm. or like chewing on the tray in front of
0: them <laughs> and i'm always thinking like you don't know how many people stepped in dog pee or poo right, like, <laughs> right. but or, or we're in the bathroom next to the urinal you know like that's what i'm always thinking but now i'm like oh god lead yeah, and lead. pesticides like you're yeah. tracking those into your home too you know well not you because your wife's smart but yeah
1: she won't let you in with shoes on so Sparkle. we're a shoe free zone but i'm sure we have a lot of lead floating around
0: well, yeah. So, anyway, that's the other thing. Um another thing it's it's actually safer to seal in the lead paint with another layer of paint than to try to remove it.
1: Oh, okay. That's good to know.
0: Yeah. So, if you've painted your house recently, um you know, you're probably better off. It, and and I should say that, you know, for some reason these cases were both all three of them were based out of Virginia and Maryland. I thought that was interesting. And I think it's, you know, it's another one of these really unfortunate phenomenon that um, you know, that in these lower income areas you have more of this.
1: Yeah, look the other way.
0: Yeah, look the other way. I, I did a podcast last week when we were talking about um the effect of growing up in a violent neighborhood and how that alone can change your brain structure. And um I learned about redlining and how communities were designed and how they were built so that poorer communities, you know, they ended up nearer factories or in incinerators. they That's where they were designed to be. And so the, the exposure just doesn't stop. Like, you can't get out of that. You know, and then your houses are depressed in value, and then so you can't move out of there because you can't sell your house, and it's just a freaking nightmare.
1: And I think about the people of Flint and just like, you know, you really don't have an option at that point. You just have trusted your state to take care of you, and when you find out they haven't, and then years before they even clean it up, you know, and you can't go anywhere you know you just feel helpless, yeah feel bad, you don't have them.
0: yeah, you can't sell your house, so you can't go anywhere and and Flint has already had its you know its share I mean do you remember Flint? also g m pulled out of there that was the that was the employer of the entire community they pulled out and people were like resorted to eating you know eating animals they were growing themselves like rabbits, not necessarily being a farmer
1: and Flint is always in the historically in one of the top five most Either most dangerous cities or highest crime, but Flint is always up there in the total U.S. And now it's going to be
0: worse because of the lead that they're being exposed to. Oh, that's another important one. The hot water in your house. Do not make baby bottles with your hot water. The hot water has way more lead in it than the cold water. So here it says, do not use water from the hot tap for drinking, cooking, or preparing infant formula
1: wow cooking cooking because if I'm gonna like boil a pot of water I usually get the try to get the water a little bit hot and then you know speeds up the process but I I should go full cold water huh I
0: guess I guess okay yes I this is scary this is scary okay so now that I've ruined your day (laughs) Do you have any questions about uh, any of the cases we covered? I know they're, you know, nice and gruesome.
1: Um, You know, when you've researched these, did lead poisoning... Is it talked about as a reason for these cases? Or are you are you uncovering this, Michelle? Like how's that working?
0: No, I am not uncovering it. The lead violence, it's been around for millennia. People have known about this for a really, really long time. Um, you know, and they study it at a community level, which is really interesting, like looking at the rates of, of homicide or crime in general and when lead was the highest, when lead was the lowest. Um and then tracking individuals who come in with severe lead poisoning, they're seeing it. And then again, looking at people who work in places with high lead exposure and being able to see the differences in their brains. And it tracks like every, like when you have this exposure, you have this reduction in volume, which is going to lead to all of these problems.
1: Um, so Michelle, what do you, what can you do then about a situation like Flint where you, you know this is, this exposure is going on and there's tons of children and adults, what is like a proactive step to take for, you know, with this knowledge.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it would have to be handled like a FEMA you know, situation, come in here, remediate the problem as quickly as possible. And then the people who have already been exposed, you know, maybe it's just obviously educating them in all of these ways to reduce the exposure coming on. But maybe chelation therapy is something that they should really be just kind of doing systematically, testing the blood. Let's just test their blood. Let's see if we get 45, you know, micrograms. And then preventively, even if you're not at at a level to have chelation therapy, maybe everyone's getting calcium and iron constantly in their diet preventatively so that if they are being exposed or were exposed before, the the problem could be remediated, just taking those steps ahead of time. But the problem needs to be solved. I mean, we can't ignore something with this level of an effect.
1: And I even think like, you know, you think about food stamps, right? And, you know, lower income and uh, the use of food stamps is so prevalent are the needs that they have from being exposed to lead covered um, by, you know, the support they get from the government for food stamps, for example, mm. you know, it just seems like they need something they might not know they need. And, you know, there's a real opportunity to help people out that might be heading down a different path and not even know it.
0: Absolutely. And it's like, that's a in pretty inexpensive and effective way. If that does work, you know, that's just making sure that multivitamins or calcium and iron are something that people can, you know, have access to for free. I mean, really the government needs to step in and f- just fix the problem and then you know simultaneously be treating these people and they should just be given this like here and and it's hard for me to know how you know a lot of it i imagine a lot it's important to have a lot of the calcium and the iron in the actual food so that it's it's being absorbed at the same time um i know that food-based vitamins do absorb slightly differently than like capsule-based vitamins so it Maybe just like access to foods rich in calcium and iron, you know, while the problem's being remediated. And just education, like, don't use your hot water, don't cook with it. They might think, as long as I'm not drinking it, but it seems that the problem's far more, you know, intricate than that.
1: Or just boiling water. I think a lot of people feel like if I get it to boiling point, you know, it's safe.
0: Yeah. yeah Everything's yeah. out of it. Yeah. It's um, doing nothing for the lead.
1: And then this might be a dumb question, Michelle, but I don't even know, like, do we get tested for lead levels? Like, is, no. that, is that an annual thing like
0: no I guess we don't I mean I've never I've, no I don't think we do I don't think you get tested unless there was an exposure or there's suspicion so um oh toddlers do Emily just popped up and said toddlers Thank you, do Emily. I don't know if my toddlers did some pediatricians do routinely test for lead in toddlers I do not remember that in um, in any of my kids checkups but gosh I sure am feeling hopeful that's great because then if they if they are being tested and i don't know if that's everywhere but even in some places then you know they can they can treat it the best they can i mean look once the damage is done it's done but they can reduce the you know you just don't want it in the brain you know so if it's floating around in the blood you want to get it out you know if it's in you want to excrete it and or if you don't know what the source is the most important thing to do is eliminate the source and then you know these are these other factors aren't you know as helpful as they're not going to undo the damage that's already been done. They will reduce the absorption. Well, thank you, Kevin, so much for thank coming you, on. Sir. I really appreciate it. And thank you for being our first male. And um, yeah, we'll work together to de to delead our houses and get the word out because this is no joke.
1: Yeah. First stop. No shoes in the house
0: everywhere. No shoes in the house. This has been How Not to Raise a Serial Killer, and we'll see you soon. How Not to Raise a Serial Killer is a Cloud 10 Media production, executive produced by me, Dr. Michelle Ward, and Sim Sarna. Our editor is Emily Crane. Our music was created by Josh Cook, with artwork provided by Brian Stefanik. Follow us on Instagram at How Not to Raise a Serial Killer, and on TikTok and Twitter at Hentrask. That's at H N. T-R-A-S-K. And if you'd like to share a story or ask a question, you can email us at killer at gmail.com. If you like our show, do me a favor and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. After all, if more people know about the show, maybe fewer kids will turn into serial killers. Who knows? Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.